0: Hey, we're gonna do it different this morning. I'm gonna start us, we're gonna walk through Romans chapter three, verses one through 20, and then we're gonna sing our worship songs at the end of the service today. So a little bit different. So you can go ahead and pull out your Bibles to Romans chapter three. We're gonna be looking at verses one through 20. So, um, several weeks ago, I hurt my knee. I don't know what I did, but I hurt my knee. So I've been dressing a little more casual so that you can't see this brace that's on my left knee. You you might wonder what did you do to your knee? I don't know. I didn't wanna go to the doctor. Because if I go to the doctor, the doctor's gonna tell me there's something wrong with my knee. If I just pretend there's not a whole lot wrong with my knee, then maybe it goes away. Right? (laughs) Except it's been like a month and it hasn't gone away. So you know what I'm gonna have to do? I'm gonna have to go see somebody that knows more about this than I do to tell me something's wrong inside my knee. All right, now y'all are acting like y'all don't do this. How many of you have something wrong with you at some point in your past and you did not wanna go to the doctor because the doctor was gonna tell you there's something wrong with you? Yeah. It, this, is, this is what we call human nature because we don't like to know there's something wrong with us even though we all know there's something wrong with us. So take that little aspect where I'm confessing to you this morning of my own pridefulness of, yeah, it'll, it'll heal itself. Yeah, whatever. I'm old, it's not gonna heal itself. Take that, and I haven't stayed off of it. I keep walking, running, lifting, whatever. I'm just an idiot. So anyway, just take that, and let's make it more serious. What if somebody went to the hospital? And when they went to the hospital, they did all these tests and all these scans and they diagnosed them as having a serious cancer that was life-threatening with not very long to live if aggressive action wasn't taken. And the doctor walked into the room and said, you know, if you'll just take these meds, you won't feel any pain. And I guarantee you, a year from now, you will feel no pain at all. Because you'll be dead, but you won't feel any pain at all. (laughs) What would we call that? I think we would call that malpractice. That doctor would lose the license because the doctor wasn't telling the patient the truth. Suppose you go to a, to a house, and it's in a hurricane area, and the floodwaters have gone in from a hurricane, and they're up to four feet high, And the person who decided, I'm out of here, I don't wanna deal with another hurricane, but I also don't wanna repair all this damage, so I'm gonna get kills, and then I'm gonna get some really dark paint, and I'm just gonna paint over all this green stuff that's on the wall so nobody can see it, and then I'm gonna sell it to somebody. Is that okay? No. We wouldn't wanna buy that house. What if we saw a barn that was falling apart? Oh, we're just gonna put a new coat of paint on it, and it'll be just fine. What if... Some of you may actually have this in your dorm room at the end of the year. What if you go to your favorite barbecue restaurant? What is your favorite barbecue restaurant? Y'all must not like barbecue. That was really weak. Rudy's, I heard Rudy's, I heard City Barbecue. You go to your favorite barbecue restaurant, you order like the multi-meat meal deal and you don't finish it all, so you take some of it back to your dorm room. You take it back to your dorm room and you stick it in that fridge Perhaps it's that fridge that's in the lounge and it goes into the back and then you forget about it. And then the semester passes. And then the next semester starts. And then one day you have this thought, huh, I've got some meat in the fridge. I should go see what that looks like. And you go and you open that meat up and when you look at that meat, that meat is covered with stuff that's not meat. And you think, huh just needs a little extra barbecue sauce on top. (laughs) Oh, y'all don't do that? Just a little extra sweet, oh, sweet honey barbecue sauce? I will not even taste that green stuff that's growing on top of this. There's a problem there, right? We don't do that. So what if I told you that you have a spiritually significant mortal wound? that you are broken and that you need to be returned to the sender, the one who made you, to be fixed. Because there's something spiritually wrong with our being, with our heart, with who we are, and we don't even want to acknowledge it. What if I told you that was the case? Well, in fact, today what we're gonna see is, is I'm not telling you that's the case. Paul is, in the book of Romans. So have you ever asked yourself the question, what's wrong with me? Now, if we're honest, we don't like being honest in groups this large, I think we have all asked ourselves the question, what's wrong with us? How many of you wanna confess and admit that? So I've asked myself this question frequently. Even post-salvation, I've asked myself this question. But before salvation, I'm like, what is wrong with you? Why do you you have thoughts like that? Why Why do you struggle with things you struggle with? What in the world is broken about you? Why am I so messed up in my thinking? Have you ever asked yourself the question, what's wrong with this world? We look at this world, you don't, you don't have to look far, you can just go to Twitter, or X, or whatever it's called now. I don't even know what to call it, but you just go to whatever it is. You go to social media, you go to the world news, you look around, there are people spending gobs of money to kill other people in wars, for what? So you can take a piece of land that somebody else will take back in a couple hundred years and then they'll take back in a couple hundred years. Like we love violence as a nation, as a world. The global aspect of what's happening, we like sinful things that are broken. We don't like treating other people well. We don't like being generous. We like to take and take and take. All of this evil that exists in our world and we look out here and we go, we go first, what's wrong with me? And then we go, what in the world is wrong with this place? Something is not right. That's something that's not right, we know, because we just finished Romans chapter two, and in Romans chapter two, it tells us that everybody in existence knows that there is a creator, because you look out at the creation and you understand there's a creator. And everybody in existence knows, because of our conscience inside us, that there is something wrong with us, that we do things that are not right, and even though we know they're not right, we do them anyway. Something's wrong with me. It tells us even the religious people in chapter two. They're without excuse. They have the law, they know the law, and they still break the law. They still do things that are wrong. They're supposed to be teachers, and yet they don't teach themselves. And then it moves to Romans chapter three. And in Romans chapter three, we're gonna walk through this. I'm not gonna read it at first, we're just gonna walk through it together. So I'm gonna give you your main idea before we start. Romans chapter three, here's what we're gonna see that we are under sin and condemned by the law. We are under sin and condemned by the law. We've got three points that we're gonna walk through. The first point is that we're under sin. We're gonna see that in verses one through nine, mainly in verse nine. The second point is the universal nature of sin. We're gonna see that in 10 through 18. And then in 19 and 20, we're gonna see that the law condemns us. So let's just start walking through it, but let's pray before we do. Dear Lord, today, would you tie my words to your text? Lord, would you, help, would you help me to think well so we can articulate clearly what your word says? Lord, would your spirit allow us to listen well to what your word says to convict us of sin, to encourage us where we need to be encouraged? Lord, may everyone listening lock in on the things that your word says. Bar us from distraction. Lord, would your spirit speak to all of us to help us come to a realization of who we are and who you are? And may your name be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Romans chapter three starts this way. How many of you have a class that you have a syllabus in? Anybody? Okay. How many of you have asked the professor a question and the professor has responded to you, it's in the syllabus? Uh-huh. I think we have t-shirts that are actually made up for some of our faculty members that actually say it's in the syllabus because the questions keep coming. So here's where we're starting. Paul has told them their sinfulness There's creation, you know that there's a God, you still don't choose to honor him. You have your conscience, you know that you do wrong, you still don't choose to honor him. Even though you have the law, you don't keep the law. And we get to Romans chapter three and they say, I got a question, Paul. Well, really his rhetorical because he's creating these questions because he's done this enough, he knows what the responses are. And so he starts here with them saying, then what advantage has the Jew or what value is the value of circumcision?" So what they're asking here is, if this is true, then what advantage does the Jewish person have? Does circumcision even mean anything? State this a different way. Think about what they're asking as a second level question. Does the Old Testament even matter? Are you doing away with all of the Old Testament law? And we might expect Paul to look at the Jews and say, oh, you being a Jew or being circumcised doesn't matter at all because he just told them it's not circumcision outwardly. It's not works that we do. It's circumcision of the heart that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But instead of saying it doesn't matter in verse 2, he says, oh, it matters much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Now, he says to begin with, He's probably foreshadowing what he wants to say, but he gets sidetracked. We'll come back to it in chapters 9 through 11. He gives some more discussion about the Jews. But to begin with here, the Jews are entrusted with the oracles of God. The Jews have the Old Testament Scriptures. They have the Ten Commandments. They know who they are as sinners. They know that God is faithful. They know that they are not faithful. They know that God gave them a covenant, and that covenant said if you do what's right, good things happen. If you do what's bad, bad things happen, and that God kept that covenant all throughout the history of the Jewish people, that when they were a faithless people, God was a faithful God. And so he says it matters because you have the Word of God. That can apply to us. Because it matters to all of us, even though some of you in this room may not be believers, you have the opportunity to hear the gospel. You have the word of God. You understand this is what God tells us about who we are and who he is and why he's created all of this. This is our purpose, this is is who we are. These are our problems, this is our diagnosis. It matters much in every way. Okay, Paul, uh, what if some were unfaithful? Does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? And he says, by no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. Think about 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. Even if we are faithless, God is still faithful because he cannot deny himself. He cannot deny his character. Think about all the times in Israel, in the judges. You remember the cycle. The people would rebel against God. God would allow persecution to come on them and oppression. They would cry out to God. God would bring somebody that would allow them to be freed, bring a judge that would, that would allow them to be back where they were, and then they would go away from God again. God was always faithful in doing exactly what he said he was going to do. And then here in this verse, it says, it is written, so pointing back to scripture, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. This is Psalm 51.4. This is David writing. And it's pointing back to David writing when he's praying his prayer after the sin with Bathsheba and he says, God, you are just in judging me because I have done wrong. In verse five, it says, another question. Wait a second, Paul. But what if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God? So because I sin, I'm allowing God to display his glory. And so if that's the case, then what are you gonna say to this, Paul? that God's unrighteous to inflict wrath on us. He says, I'm speaking in a human way, probably because he says God and unrighteous there in the same phrase. And he's like, whoa, that's just human. So we might phrase it this way. God, if I'm broken, Paul, if I'm messed up and all I can do is sin against a holy God and I'm gonna sin because that's the way I'm bent from the fall and being under sin, why am I still being held in judgment for that? And Paul says, wait a second, he's gonna judge everybody. He's gonna judge the Jews and the Gentiles. Just because you are bent to flee and run away from the God who created you doesn't give you an excuse for this. He answers it, by no means, for then how could God judge the world? Okay, hold on, Paul. But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, Why am I still being condemned as a sinner? Let me go one further, Paul. Why not do evil that good may come? Okay, think about what's being said here. Paul responds, as some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. He'll come back to this again as well. He'll come back to this later in the book of Romans. This would be like you saying, If a teacher is a good teacher, I'm gonna do well on the final exam. So maybe the teacher should encourage me to cheat on the final exam so that I get a good grade on the final exam so that everybody thinks he or she is a good teacher. Does that logic make sense to you? Don't say yes. (laughs) This is consequentialism. This is the end justifies the means. If I can get the desired outcome, then I can do whatever it takes that may be wrong to get to the desired outcome. And Paul is saying, he's not even justifying this because this is so ridiculous and so ludicrous. He's saying their condemnation is just. So then he continues on. Paul, what then? Are Jews any better off? Are, Are the Jews any better off than the Gentiles, all of us? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, Circle this phrase, highlight this phrase, underline this phrase, or under sin. Under sin. Sin singular, not sin plural. He doesn't say that you sin that you commit a bunch of sins. He says that you are under sin. The theological implications of this are massive. We are all born underneath a sinful construct. Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. Their sinful nature has been passed on to all of us so that when we are born, we don't have to be taught how to do what's wrong. That comes naturally to us. We have to be taught how to do what's right. And so we are under sin. As we are under this sin, you could call it we are slaves to sin. We can't overcome sin because this is our condition. So we're back to the knee, we're back to the meat, we're back to all of these different conditions to diagnose ourselves correctly. For me to answer the question, what's wrong with me? Why do I feel this way? Why do I feel like there's something more? It's because there is a problem with me, I'm under sin. And the only answer to me being under sin is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can't work my way out to get over sin. I can't put enough coats of paint on this old barn to make it good. I can't fix my own knee by putting Icy Hot or whatever else you wanna put on there. I can't make the meat taste better without making me sick by just throwing some sweet barbecue sauce on there. That's gonna be a rough night. And we get that. But then when it comes to our soul, it's like I'm just gonna do a little corrected behavior. If we don't diagnose what's really wrong with us, we don't know how to fix it. It's the problem, I don't know enough information. We'll go to college. It's the problem, I don't have enough money and they have too much money. Well, then we'll throw Marxism in place and redistribute all the wealth. But those are not the problems. The problem's not that I don't have enough stuff. I can have all the stuff and still want more stuff. The problem's that I don't have enough knowledge because more knowledge just makes me a more clever devil. The problem is, I'm under sin. I have a faulty heart, a faulty being that needs to be replaced by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the only way, that's why he ends chapter two when he says circumcision is not outward, it's inward. It's circumcision of the heart brought by the spirit. So if you're in this room, you grew up in a Christian home, you know the gospel, or maybe you didn't, and you have never gotten on your knees and repented before God and said, God, I'm a sinner, and God, I want to place my faith and trust in what you did on the cross where you took my penalty so that I can then have your righteousness imputed to me so that I can be forgiven, so that I can be reconciled to my creator. If you've never done that, you're still under sin. And then you're wondering, what's wrong with me? With that, this is it. Don't miss it. We are all under sin. It's not just you. It's everybody. Everybody. So here's the universal nature of it. You say, well, I'm offended. You said I was under sin. I'm not saying you're any worse off than I am. All of us are under sin. So the second point, universal nature of sin. It's written, Paul's making his argument, he's making his case, he's argued from reason, he's argued from logic, now he's going to scripture. Here's the trump card, right? I'm gonna pull out some scripture and I'm gonna quote scripture. And so here you can see it in the verse. Notice all of the nuns and all of the alls. He's driving home a point here. This is repetition. This is how he's using the rhetorical method here. None is righteous. No, not one. In case you didn't get that, no one understands. Our brains do not compute all of this without the good news of the gospel. All have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. That's pretty insulting there, Paul. No one does good. In case you didn't get it, not even one. Do you see how many times he told us none, not anyone, no, not one, all of us are under sin. We all flee away from the Lord. And then he moves to our depravity. Our depravity includes our fallenness, our sinfulness, includes our throat. Our throat, look how he describes it, is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of ass is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Not just in our mouth, not just in our words, although our words are enough to condemn us and our words give us the the temperature indicator of our heart. The words that come out of our mouth show us what the condition of our heart is. And so we listen to the words that come out of our mouth and we know whether we are an encourager or a discourager. We know whether we are a liar or a truth teller. We know what's in our heart by the words that come out of our mouth and it moves on past that to say their feet are swift to shed blood. And then their paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace they have not known. Their mind does not know the way of peace. And then we get to the root of all of our problems. There is no fear of God before their eyes. I've got a slide here that shows you what all of these look like with the Old Testament passages side by side. When you look at this slide, you can see what he's doing here. He's quoting from Psalm 14, three and two and 53, two and three and Ecclesiastes and Proverbs and Isaiah. All of these are Old Testament scriptures that they would have known. And what he's doing here is he's pulling in his case and he's saying, think about what the Old Testament says and he's putting it all together and he's walking them through a reminder of scripture. You already know this, you should know this. We like violence. Will Durant wrote in his lessons from history that in the last 3,421 years of recorded history, only 268 have seen no war. During World War II, it's estimated that it took $225,000 to kill one enemy soldier. This is the world we live in. And friends, it's messed up. It is not like it should be. And the reason why is that we are under sin and we need the good news of the gospel. Here's what he tells us. The law doesn't help us. It condemns us. Look at verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. But, but, but God, uh uh-uh. Put your hand over your mouth. No. Don't even say it. Don't try to justify yourself because he's already told us. We look out at creation, we know there's a creator. This didn't just happen. We know in our own conscience we do things that are wrong. We know that we are guilty and we're condemned. Those who are Jews have the law. They know what God has said. We have the Bible. We understand what the Bible has told us. We understand the gospel and the good news. So now the law condemns us and says every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Folks, that should scare us. Because we sit in this chapel five days a week and hear the word of God preached and the whole world is going to be held accountable to a gospel and a law that they may only know from creation and conscience that does not lead them to the truth of salvation, of how they need to repent and be reconciled to God, how they need to declare faith in Jesus Christ, and we need to be out there telling them the good news of the gospel. We need to be be out in our own state proclaiming the good news of the gospel. When we go to Ohio State or Wright State or any other of the colleges around and we're sharing the gospel, we should recognize right off the bat these people are under sin they don't seek God not a one of them it's not what they're up to so we are there to let them know and diagnose their spiritual condition and then tell them wait a second just because you're under sin I was under sin too but I know how to tell you to get out of sin it's the good news of the gospel because God is for us Verse 20 says, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. There's no hope with just the law because through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law is that mirror. And in that mirror, we hold up that mirror. And all we do when we hold it up is we see exactly how sinful we are. We see exactly how broken we are. Hans Christian Andersen wrote a short story that I'm sure many of you are familiar with. It was on the emperor's new clothes, or the emperor's suit, depending on how you look at it and translate it, and do y'all remember the story? How many of you remember the emperor's new clothes? Okay, just to refresh your memory, because some of you didn't raise your hand. You've got this king, and this king spends all of his money to buy new clothes. He likes to be really well-dressed, and so he's spending tons of money. So two swindlers come into town, and they tell the king, we're weavers. They're swindlers, but they tell the king, we're weavers and we can weave you a set of clothes like you have never seen before, like nobody has ever seen before. It will be absolutely incredible. And not only that, but it people who look at it and don't see how incredible it is, the reason they can't see it is because they're either not worthy of their office or they're not smart. They're unusually stupid. And so the king says, I have to have these clothes. So he gives them thread and all this stuff and they start working their looms and they're weaving everything but there's nothing in there they just put all the stuff in their bag and there's nothing they're just making nothing they're just working really hard at making absolutely nothing the king sends his advisors trusted advisors go check it out and look at it the advisor gets there and looks and says there's nothing here but i don't want to tell him there's nothing here because that means i'm either unfit for my office or that means that i'm unusually stupid and so they go back and say it looks great Another advisor goes, oh, I can't see anything because there's nothing there, but I'm either unusually stupid or I'm not fit for my office. So he goes back and he tells the emperor it looks amazing. All of the people go and they're trying the outfit on, the outfit that doesn't exist for the emperor. And as they're trying the outfit on, they're like hanging it and they're fastening the belt and they're doing all of these things. And everybody's talking about how great the emperor's clothes are, but the emperor has no clothes on because these swindlers have taken all the money and all the thread and all the fabric and put it in their bags because they're getting rich off of the emperor who is is unusually stupid, by the way. But the emperor then says, we're going to go down Main Street and we're going to show everybody my incredible clothes. And all the adults, the smart people, all the people that don't want the diagnosis, how magnificent are the clothes. There are even people holding the fake train of the garment off of the ground so it doesn't get dirty that doesn't exist and they can't fill it because it doesn't exist and they're walking down through here and a little child yells out but the emperor has no clothes on and then everybody in the town realizes wait a second i'm not unusually stupid or unfit for office the king is because he's been swindled and he has no clothes on Friends, we live in a world of higher education. You're here to get a degree. You're here potentially to go on and get another degree and another degree, and you're probably gonna love degrees, and you're smart, and you get all this. And what I'm here to tell you is higher education has set up a system where it has no close, spiritually speaking. But if you deny the system, you're either unfit or not too smart. So if you believe that there is a creator instead of evolution and it all happening, so we'll do evolution, we'll get rid of that God out there because yeah, that makes sense because there's no such thing as irreducible complexity. Anyway, if you believe in creation over evolution, oh, well, you're just unfit. You can't see it or you're not smart enough. If you believe that there's a universal truth rather than every other person's truth mattering, Oh, well, you're just unfit or you're not smart enough. If you don't allow my feelings to form my truth, if you believe there's some external truth outside of my reality so that you're denying my feelings, you're denying my being, and that makes you really, really bad because then you're unfit or you're just not smart enough. You can go down the entire list of how our world has tried to create a system, spiritually speaking to where we can justify and explain away the fact that we spiritually are bankrupt. We have no clothes. The only way for us to stand before God Almighty and be reconciled to him on the day of judgment is if we take the clothes from Christ and have his righteousness imputed on us so that we are clothed in his righteousness. We can't make the clothes. We can't earn the clothes. All we can do is take the clothes and put them on. By grace alone, he gives this to us, not that we earn it. We repent of our sins. We put our faith in Christ. And friends, my fear is that you're in this room and you know all the words of this book and you understand the story, but you've never come to a point where you've owned your own faith. You've never come to a point where you repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So I got two points of application for you. Number one, have you accepted your diagnosis? You are under sin. And there is only one way out. Hey, the good news is, I've been in the same hole. I know the way out. His name is Jesus. Number two, we all have rebelled against God. Do you recognize that God is not some cosmic boogeyman trying to keep you from having fun? but that God is actually the loving father who is seeking you for your good and for your flourishing because he wants you to understand and embrace the good news of the gospel and be reconciled to him so that you will then be complete and no longer under the sin that is destroying you, no longer enslaved to the sin that exists above us. So what's our main idea? Our main idea is this. We're under sin and condemned by the law. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as they come to the stage to prepare to sing. If you're here and the Lord has convicted you that you do not know him, we're gonna be singing. You can come down front. You can come down and pray. You can come down and find one of us. We will be happy to talk with you. Talk with your professors at your next class. God, my prayer for all of us is that we will accept our diagnosis as being under sin and that we will follow up with what comes next in Romans, which is the good news that you have died in our place and that we will repent of our sins and put our faith in Jesus. Lord, would you help us to honor you for you are worthy and to sing praises to your name? to live lives that are for you and for human flourishing that would allow us, Lord, to share the good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.